0: Hosea one one to two thirteen. The word of the Lord, which came to Hosea the son of Beeri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it will come about on that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I should ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and deliver them by the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God." Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it will come about that in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people. It will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children, because they are children of harlotry for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. And she will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax, given to cover her nakedness." And then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. I will also put an end to all her gaiety, her feasts, her new moons, (coughs) her sabbaths, and all her festal assemblies. And I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field will devour them. And I will punish her for the days of the Baals, when she used to offer sacrifices to them and adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers, so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you knowing that this is your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that it is our life. It is truth. It's our wisdom. It's everything we need for life and godliness. Father, we are reminded by these words of your desire to see repentance in us. And when we do repent, we are truly manifesting that we are your people, the true people of God, and the ones who have truly received received your mercy. We pray, Father, that we'll better grasp this truth and be faithful in our preaching and teaching and living this gospel. May we not merely, Lord, hear what these words are, but really understand them and really obey them. We ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Chapter 1, the the prophet, in verses 1 to 9, he has been preaching by illustration of his own marriage how the people of Israel, between them and God, are just like an adulterous, harlotrous wife, and that, that that wife also bears children of harlotry which follows in the path of their mother, practicing sin and idolatry. But then in verses 10 and 11, there is a remnant of people that God saves, a remnant out of the great majority of the people. But this remnant throughout all time is immeasurable, as it says in verse 10, immeasurable. Well, now we've come to chapter 2, 1 to 13, and he turns his attention back to an oracle of indictment or judgment, indictment or in, or judgment for the most part in verses 1 to 13. There are a couple of exceptions to that, but for the most part, it is an indictment or a judgment, a condemnation because of the sins of the people. And he's detailing these sins because people are apt to thinking that if something goes wrong with them, it's not their fault. If something goes wrong with them, it's God's fault, not their fault. And so they point the finger at God instead of pointing the finger to themselves for their own sins. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. This verse actually better goes with the preceding chapter with verses 10 and 11. If you check your Bibles, you may have a footnote that says, That in the Hebrew text of Hosea, chapter 2, verse 1 is actually chapter 2, verse 3 in Hebrew, meaning that it all goes together with chapter 1. For example, chapter 1, verse 10 begins chapter 2, verse 1 in Hebrew so that verses 10, 11, and 12 go together. And it seems that that is the best way to take it, not to take it as English has it, but to take it the way the Hebrew text has it, because it makes sense to say after explaining that people who were not first called the people of God will eventually be called the people of God and sons of the living God, verse 10, and he means the people of the world who believe in the gospel, that those Jews who already believe will say to the Gentile believers, chapter two, verse one, say to your brothers. That means believing Jews who believe in the gospel will say to believing Gentiles who believe in the gospel, my people, call them also my people, and also say ruhama, meaning mercy, Or compassion. That means that the believing Jews will recognize the believing Gentiles as being a part of the one people of God, the one church of God, the the sons of the living God, the sons of the living God, as mentioned in chapter 1, verse 10. That's the point of chapter 2, verse 1 in English. Let's take that with the previous two verses in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Having said that, now we turn our attention to verses 2 to 7 and then 8 to 13. 2 to 7 and then 8 to 13, which primarily comprise an indictment, a condemnation, a list of their sins and what God will do to them. They actually deserve what God's punishing them with. So chapter 2, verse 2. Contend with your mother, contend. For she is not my wife and I am not her husband. In this passage, the mother is the whole nation of Israel as a nation, as a unit, as one country. The children are the individuals in that nation. That's the picture he's portraying here. When he says mother, the adulterous mother, he's talking about the whole nation as one body, one group. But then the children born of her are the individual citizens of the nation. That's the illustration here. And then among the, uh, the individual citizens of the nation, a few of them will hear the gospel message and repent, but the vast majority of them will not repent. The vast majority who do not repent, their sins, everyone's sins, they are listed here, and then their due punishment is also presented here. All right, let's look at it that way, this chapter, or at least this section of the chapter. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. The mother, the whole nation, needs to have those in their midst contend or fight against them. This is similar to Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This contention is not a sinful contention, but it is a spiritual and good contention in that. You have to fight for the truth. Fight the good fight of faith. That good fight of faith is necessary. That's what he means here. Contend with your mother. Now, who is the father in this illustration? The father is God. The husband is God. The father of the children is God. Well, the husband is God. The mother is the adulterous mother. So the children, if they have a different father and the mother has borne them because of adultery, then the children often end up being like the adulterous mother. And then therefore, if there's something wrong in the family, the fault is not with the father or the husband. In this case, the father is God and the husband is God. It's not a the fault there, but it's the fault of the adulterous wife and the mother who chooses to have children from another father. And who will be the other father or fathers here? It will be the idols, the idols that they worship in their land. And often these idols are idols of foreign nations which Israel has adopted as their own God. So those who hear this word ought to seek to repent or seek for the nation to repent. Verse 2 says, Let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Why is this pictured in the face and in the breasts? Because harlotress or prostitutional women, what do they do? Loose women, what do they do? They paint their face, they decorate their face to be appealing to the men that they are trying to attract. They also expose their breasts. They expose them to some extent at least. And often they'll put jewelry dangling from hanging from their neck and dangling right there between their breasts to draw attention the, the, the attention of men to look there, right? This is what wicked women do. Wicked women do this with their ornaments, with their face, with their bodies to expose themselves. Well, that's what has to be rejected. If you are redeemed, then you don't do that anymore. Well, what's the punishment? Verse 3 Lest I strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born, I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with thirst. The punishment for adulteresses was to be stripped naked. To be stripped naked so that they might be put to shame in public. Well, when women, grown women, are stripped naked, they become like they were when they were born, like babies. Boys and girls, of course, are born naked. But when one is an infant and naked, there's no shame attached to that. But there is shame attached to adults who are naked and publicly exposed. God threatens to take away their honor, take away any beauty that that they have and produce shame in public. Further there will be barrenness, there will be barrenness like a wilderness or a desert. That will be her lot. She had everything, but everything will be taken away. The clothing that she used to exploit men to commit idolatry and immorality, God's going to take all of that away and she's going to be left with nothing. When that which is Gifted by God is wrongly used. God takes it all away. And though you were fruitful, though you were prosperous, God will take it away and make you a wilderness or make you a desert. And then you're going to die of thirst. You're going to die of the basic necessities of life because God will take them away. Verse 4, it's worse. Also, I will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry. God not only will destroy the nation, but the individuals in the nation because they practice the sins of the mother. They don't give it up. They don't repent, but they continue in practicing the same sins. That means that God will have no compassion on the children either. Just like it said in chapter one, chapter one, verse six, one of the daughters born there is called Lo-Ruhamah, no compassion. No compassion. There is no compassion to unrepentant people. Verse 5, for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. The mother, in verse 5, the nation as a whole, plays the harlot. They, she acts shamefully. She conceives children in shame. And further, she says, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She really wants to pursue other lovers, other men, meaning idols and immorality that comes with idolatry. She wants to do it because in her mind, she says, it's going to be better for me out there than it is here. It will be better for me with those other men, with those idols than with my husband now and with the true God right now. She has to convince herself that that's the case to pursue sin. Verse six, what therefore will God do? Therefore behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. God is going to restrict her. God will restrict her and constrain her in a place she doesn't want to be. He's going to limit her abilities to do what she is doing. He's going to punish her. He's going to make it hard on her. It's not going to be broad paths. She's going to be in a narrow path. She's not going to have great abundance. She's going to be restricted because God's going to punish her. Further, verse seven, and she will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. In seven, she says she's pursuing her lovers to overtake them, catch up with them, but they will disappear. Why? Because these illegitimate lovers, these paramours, they exploit her and then abandon her. They get what they want from her And then they walk away, similar to Amnon. Remember what Amnon did in 2 Samuel 13? He raped his own sister, half-sister, Tamar. And after he raped her, he told her to go away. He wanted nothing to do with her. This is similar to what false husbands or false idols, false gods do. They will exploit their worshipers but then abandon their worshipers, be completely abandoned. And then in desperation, she will say, verse seven, I will go back to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. Well, it was better, but she let her sins overtake her and she pursued idolatry. And for a moment, it was pleasurable. For a moment, there was prosperity. For a moment, she thought she made the right choice. But when the punishment comes and when they abandon her, she's going to realize it was better where I was at the first than the way it is now. That reminds us of the prodigal son. The prodigal son in Luke 15, he did the same thing. He said the same thing. Luke 15 11 to 32, and he says in Luke fifteen seventeen. but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Luke fifteen seventeen to 19. Well, there will be a few individuals who come to this realization. As it says in Luke 15, when he came to his senses, that means that he was insane before he came to his senses. He was pursuing sin rather than God. Verse 8, Hosea 2, 8. For she does For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. What was the problem in verse 8? In verse 8, she ascribed the blessings of God, the true and living God, ascribed them to the idols. The source was the idols, she thought. But really, it was God who provided. The idols did not, God did. But vain people, insane people, they think that their idols, their false gods, are giving them what they want when actually it's the true and living God doing so. Verse 9 Therefore, I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax, given to cover her nakedness. And then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. Verse nine, nine and 10, what God gave freely, kindly, lavishly to her, he's going to take away. The provisions he gave to her he will now take back and he's going to make her naked and then her lewdness, verse 10, will be uncovered. And not only that, the lovers first enjoyed her and now the lovers are going to mock her. The lovers who first enjoyed her will then be the lovers who mock her when they see her doom, when they see her shame. Publicly displayed in the sight of her lovers. One passage where this analogy is very expansive, detailed, is Ezekiel 16. And in that chapter, God condemned both Israel and Judah. Israel for chasing after the Assyrians and Judah for chasing after the Babylonians. But then when God judged Israel and Judah, who looked at her and basically spit in her face and had nothing to do with her anymore? Mistreated her? The Assyrians and the Babylonians. They pursued the Assyrians and the Babylonians, their idolatry and whatever sins of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They pursued that. Then when God punished Israel and Judah, the Assyrians and the Babylonians had a wonderful time. They had a heyday in mocking and exploiting the devastation of Israel and Judah. Same here in verse 10. Verse 11, verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. I will also put an end to all her gaiety, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her festal assemblies. And I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages which my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field will devour them. Put an end to all her gaiety, all her happiness, all her joy, her revelry in her feasts, the major feasts that will end because they were not worshiping in truth and in righteousness. Her new moons every month, the new moon festivals, the new moon days. Her Sabbaths, the weekly Sabbaths and all her festal assemblies, whenever the the people would gather several times a year to enjoy the worship of God, the word of God and the people of God all together meeting. He says he's going to do away with all that. No more. Her vines and fig trees, vines, grape vines. Why? For grapes, grape juice, wine, new wine and alcohol or or strong drink comes from the vines. Fig trees, the the eating of figs, which is a rich fruit. It's rare in that it's not a cheap fruit like banana. And the fig trees signifies abundance, prosperity. They enjoyed them temporarily, but God will take that away. He made those who are lavish and rich Poor, just like that. Again, in verse 12, she misascribes the source of her blessings. Verse 12, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. She says it again. She thinks that her idols provided for her. Verse 12, I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field will devour them. The places where they live will be a place of wild beasts. That's why he says forest and beasts of the field. Beasts of the field means the wild beasts. When you have people living in peace and harmony, then you have domestic animals and people are raising them and enjoying the produce of the animals. But if the people are gone, there's no one to take care of the domestic animals. If no one is there to take care of them, the wild beasts will exploit them. And because there are no humans, there are no people there taking care of them, then the place that was domesticated, inhabited by people, then becomes a wild wild forest, where wild animals roam and do whatever they want. And if people go into the wild forest, they better be ready or else the wild animals will devour them. He says he's going to turn everything all around. That which was a fertile field which they harvested will now become like a wild forest for the wild beasts to devour. 13. And I will punish her for the days of the Baals when she used to offer sacrifice to them and adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. In verse 13, clearly he's meaning they worship idols. Often in the scripture, in the the Old Testament, Baal is in the singular. Sometimes it might be in the plural, such as our verse, verse 13, or even verse 17. Hosea two seventeen. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. Sometimes in, the, or most of the time in the singular, sometimes in the plural. Why in the plural? It's in the plural because they multiply their idolatry, meaning they worship this God in many locations and those locations have unique shrines and unique ways of worship and rituals that are associated with those locations. So there might be one God in concept, but many idols scattered throughout the land. Hosea 4, 13, Hosea 4.13. They offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains and burn incense on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters play the harlot and your brides commit adultery. Why are they on the tops of the mountains, on the hills, under oak, poplar, terebinth? Why are they in these many places? Because that's where the shrines are kept. That's where the idols are. Chapter 11, Hosea 11 and verse 2. Hosea 11, 2. The more they called them, that's the prophets who called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols, in the plural. The baals are the many idols scattered throughout the land. Also, by the way, you may recall that when Israel was in the wilderness in the time of Moses, in Numbers chapter 25, 25 verse 3, it says that Israel played the harlot with Baal of Paor. Baal of Paor. Paor was a place and the idol Baal who was worshiped there they attached themselves and indulged in the worship of that idol in that locality Baal of Peor is for example one location in 1 Kings 16:31-33 1 Kings 16 King Ahab he dedicated a shrine or a temple to Baal In his capital city, Samaria. He built altars for Baal in Samaria. Just two examples Baal of Baor, Baal of Samaria. Baal is all throughout the land. Baal is the god, but that one god has many locations and many uh, aspects or divergences in worship and practice, depending on the locals and how they prefer to worship him. This is the way they were in the time of Hosea. Well, God says in verse 13, I will punish her for the days of the Baals. Have we noticed from verses two to 13, how often We hear of the source of the punishment. He has not said anything about foreigners in this passage, except by referring to them as her lovers. He hasn't specified any single foreigner. That's not the focus of the passage. The focus of the passage is to ascribe the punishment to God. That is, it's coming from God because they have sinned against God. Verse three, lest I strip her. Verse three, I will also make her like a wilderness and slay her. Verse four, also I will have no compassion on her. Verse six, behold, I will hedge up her way and I will build a wall against her. Verse eight, it was I who gave her the grain. Verse 9, therefore, I will take back my grain. Verse 9, I will also take away my wool and my flax. Verse 10, I will uncover her lewdness, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. Verse 11, I will also put an end. Verse 12, I will destroy her vines. Verse 12, and I will make them a forest. And then verse 13, and I will punish her. When punishment occurs, no one can blame anyone except themselves. And the one that they should never blame is God himself. Let God be found true, though every man a liar. Therefore, I consider right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.